Hey everybody, good morning, and I'm so glad that you could join us today uh, for our online church experience, right? This is the new norm for a while, and we don't know how long this is going to go, but it's okay because Jesus is online. He's never offline. Come on, somebody. He knows you. He knows me. He knows where we're at, okay? So things are rolling out real time. We're responding to it. I think for this morning, I just want to tell you how much we love you, how proud we are of you, Donna and I and the whole pastoral team. We love you so much. And I just want to give you this one, one more time. Engage with us this week online. Get into a group, okay? Get into a group. Uh, jump on, on your computer or your phone and engage with somebody this week. We need to keep the relationship going. And actually, you know what? The church is actually growing right now. We have people signing up for small groups online that weren't signed up for small groups, right? When we were not online, okay? So God has a way of just moving, okay? So I love you today. And what I'm going to do is I want to tell a story today that talks about an encounter that some people had with Jesus. And what is significant here is that any time that someone in the scriptures has an actual encounter with Jesus, there is a lesson to be learned. Now, there are many lessons to be learned. Paul writes some incredible things. I read Titus the other day. I read some incredible things. James, phenomenal, right? Uh, I can go through the Bible and learn from everything, but there's something special that happens in Scripture when people have an encounter with Jesus. Now, I want you to think about this. All right, so Jesus has had an encounter with you. That's why you're here today. And I want you to, to just wherever you are right now, seriously, wherever you are, this is not about me standing in front of a camera this morning and preaching to you. That's not what this is. Some of you need to have an encounter with Jesus. And, and even during the worship, you can feel the presence of God, right? But listen, let's be honest. Some of you right now are still in your bed. Come on. You're in your bed. You've got your coffee. Your covers are all the way up around your neck. Enjoy it because when this is over, it will never happen again. We're never going to have church where we just get to snuggle up and, and watch Pastor Doug or watch the worship. But even in your bed with your coffee, Jesus wants to have an encounter with you. When Jesus encountered people in the New Testament, something happened, something special. And we need to make sure that we don't fall into this pattern of like, oh, we're online, we can just chill. You chill. But I want you to know the Holy Spirit is there right now, and He wants to speak to you about something. What it is, I don't know yet, but I know that it's there. So I'm going to read from uh, Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17, a familiar story. Uh, that has to do with the 10 lepers and the encounter that they had with Jesus, okay? So I'm going to read it, pray, and then we'll get going. So Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. Now this is important because Samaria, uh, the Samaritans and the Galileans or the Jews did not get along, okay? So the, the Samaritans and the Galileans did not get along. So he's setting up for us contextually that there's already something not right. We get that just from the language of the story. We're getting this information. Verse 12, as he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance. They were social distancing. So I want you to just, I want you to picture this. They're, um, they're next to a village, but they can't be in the village. And when they speak to Jesus, they're staying far enough away because they don't want to get anybody sick. 
Okay, so this is the, the context that we're in. Their, their community is over here, but they're out here. And so God wants to make sure that as he's working in our lives, that in these moments, even though we're all spread out, our community is close and not distant. But he says, they stood at a distance and they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Now, this is the beginning of the Jesus encounter. This is where it begins. A cry from inside of the heart of one of God's children or a group of God's children. So inside of you and inside of me, in each one of us, there is a cry. There is a continual cry in our hearts for Jesus to love us, have a relationship with us. And honestly, we're all going through different things. And so the cry is attached to whatever the need is that you have. But we all have one. We all have something in us that says, Jesus, come on, have pity on me. Jesus, I'm kind of a hot mess right now and I really need you to help me figure this out. Jesus, I'm sick of my body. Jesus, my family's not right. Jesus, I'm praying for a child. Jesus, I'm a little confused about my career. Jesus, I may have even just lost my job or I'm broke and things are going on. I'm losing money every day because of the virus. I get it all, but there's something in all of us that we have. This is the beginning of the encounter. It comes from the cry. Don't think, any of you, that you don't have a cry in you, something that you want God to do for you because you do. And to the, to the level that you identify with the cry is the level that you will allow Jesus then to shape and mold what he's doing in your life. We all have one. Jesus, Jesus, have pity on us. So when he saw them, he said, go and show yourselves to the priests. I'll come back to that. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, he came back. Praising God in a loud voice, he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, uh, and he was a Samaritan. Now, I want you to notice that, the, um, that his ethnicity or his, his clan, his group was identified, okay? And so, verse 17, Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? And then he said to him, rise and go. Or no, sorry, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. I'm going to preach a message this morning called The Other Nine, but let's pray. Father, I thank you for your grace and your goodness. I thank you for the healing of God that is in our hearts, both on the outside and on the inside. I thank you, Father, that you love us, you care for us. I pray, Lord, that all of us right now would not think that we don't have a cry. Don't let any person listening to my voice this morning think to themselves, I'm okay, I don't need God, I'm all right, I don't really have any needs. Other people are more important to me. Uh, other people need to, need, need to get, you know, whatever it is that we're giving out. We are all God's children. And Father, this morning, I thank you that you love us as your children. We all have a cry. We all have a need. And so, Jesus, I love you today. 
I pray that you would minister to the need and meet the need. And I do pray also that you bless our city, every church, every pastor, every congregation that's meeting in an online world right now. Father, I pray that you would bless them. Let the anointing of God rest in your church, rest on your people, regardless of whether or not we're gathering. The Bible says this, that wherever two or three gather in your name, it doesn't say where we have to gather. It just says when we gather. So here we are, we're gathered, and we want to know you. We want to meet with you. We want to have an encounter with you, Jesus. We love you today. Bless our city, bless our state, and all of our leaders, our city leaders and authorities, as they guide us through this season and give us a heart to respond. We're all in this together. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so this message, the other nine, I'm going to talk about the other nine at the end, but I just want to Let's jump into these verses now. And I'd encourage you to get your Bible out if you can, or your phone, a journal, something, and just kind of take a few notes as we go along as the Lord speaks to you. But I want to start in verse 14. When he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. So the first thing is they cry, but then Jesus sees them. Jesus looks over and he sees them, but it's important for us to remember that Jesus does not see just the outside of us. He sees the inside of us. So regardless of what our external affliction is, Jesus wants to minister to our internal need. Because at the, end, at the end of the day, the internal need is just, if not more important than the external itself. Because you got to remember that in the New Testament, Jesus would go around preaching and doing miracles and healing people, but not everyone who saw him healed, get, heal people or not everyone who actually got healed followed him. And it's incredible to me that some people could be healed, physically healed, and have a miracle but not follow Jesus. That tells me that there is an internal condition that is stronger than the external disease. There might be an internal disease, an internal thing that we got to work through that is more powerful than the external one. So Jesus sees them. He saw them. He saw the inside and the outside. And as the story goes on, what what Jesus is trying to get them to do is is not just to be obedient, but to actually respond. So he says to them, go show yourselves to the priests. And so they did. The the text tells us that they just did what Jesus said. They're going to go show themselves to the priest. And, you know, they weren't healed in the moment that Jesus said it. But Jesus said, go show yourselves to the priest. So they turn and out of obedience... But what God is trying to illustrate to us in this is not our obedience, it's our responsiveness. Because nine were obedient, but only one responded. And so God's trying to teach us something here, right? He's trying to teach us what the real sickness is. That it's not just the skin, it's in the heart. Now, I want you to notice this. He said, go and show yourself to the priest. Now, why this is important is because in In the temple, there was actually a corner of the temple where a couple of priests would sit. And their job was to declare people clean. So if someone had been healed from a disease or they were cleansed from their leprosy, which, to be honest with you, never really happened. And so this was about to be a shocker for them, but that's a whole other message, right? So their job was to declare people clean. And so these lepers in the system of religion, the religious system, they had to go back and they actually weren't considered clean until the priests told them they were clean. 
So even if they were completely healed, they couldn't feel healed or believe they were healed until the priest told them that they were healed. So here they are in the middle of this religious system. Some people won't believe they're healed unless they get healed in the middle of the religious context so that they have comparison. So these people turn around and they start walking and they get healed on the way to the priest who has to declare them healed. This would be like this. This would be like your car is breaking down, okay? So when I was in Bible college, I had this car. I'll never forget it. It was pre-Donna, you know, Donna Lassett. And I wanted to have a car someday to take her on a date. But I had this car. I think it cost a thousand bucks back then, which was quite a bit of money. Um, but I'm driving down the road and the head gasket blows on my car. But I didn't know what a head gasket was at that time. All I knew is it was shaking and it was, you know, I knew there was something wrong. And then I look outside and there's huge billows of huge billows of white smoke um, coming out of the hood. And I don't mean just a little bit. I mean, like, like shut the freeway down. If you're behind me, you can't see anything. That's how much steam there was coming out of the head gasket. And so this would be like having your head gasket blow, your car's breaking down, and all you want to do, because this is what I did, all I wanted to do was get to the mechanic because we had a mechanic friend. I wanted to get to this mechanic guy I knew. This would be like your car is breaking down, and on the way, it gets fixed. So that when you arrive to the mechanic, and you say to the mechanic, hey, um, I need you to fix my car. And the mechanic goes, there's nothing wrong with your car. And you're like, but there was, there, there was, and, but I need a mechanic. I, I know there's something wrong. I just looked at your car. There's nothing, no, but I need you to tell me that, that my car is fixed. And sometimes as Christians, we need people's, other people's affirmation and words to tell us about what God has done more than just experiencing what God has done. God, with some people, has to heal you along the way, in the middle of the way that we think, our religious mindset, so that when we hit the crossroads, we have something to compare it to. Because when you compare what Jesus has done and what someone else can do for you, the two, are, they're, they're not even in the same category. And so the mechanic's like, no, your car's fixed. You're like, no, it's not. No, it's not. Some people just will not accept the fact that Jesus has healed you and fixed you on the inside, your heart, your mind, your thoughts. And so we walk around, you know, not changing, but I'll get to this in a minute, not changing because we just can't believe it, right? And so to free someone from a religious spirit, sometimes they have to be healed while in it, just so that they can have something to compare it to. And it says, as they went, they were cleansed. You notice Jesus could have just reached out and healed them, but he didn't. He didn't just reach out and go, you're healed. He said, go see the priest. Because the priest represented the religious spirit that he was trying to set them free from. There was something that Jesus was trying to illustrate for us in this. Okay, so they go along, they go see the priest. Verse 15. But along the way, one of them when he saw that he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice, threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. So one of the things that we notice immediately is that this group of people was a mixture 
of both Jews and Samaritans. Well, they were all Jews technically, but two people that didn't get along. So we know that they weren't all pure Hebrews. It was a mixture of people who in normal life would never speak to each other. Do you remember when Jesus was at the well with the woman? And the woman at the well, she came to get water, and, she, and Jesus said, hey, can you help me get some water? And she goes, who are you, a Jew, speaking to me, a Samaritan? Because you worship on your mountain, we worship on our mountain. And we know that they did not get along. We knew that they, they had almost like hatred towards each other. They discriminated against each other. So the first thing that we notice immediately is that this group is a mixed group. Why? Because disease is not a respecter of, per of persons. In other words, disease, whether it's a virus or leprosy or an internal thing, sin, is not a respecter of persons. You know, if, if a disease comes down, down the road, it doesn't like land on me and skip your house. It doesn't land on one group of people and, land, and then skip another group of people because it likes the other group of people better. That's what sin is. We all have the same sin and the same stuff going on in our hearts. And it doesn't matter who you are or where you come from or, or what, you're, the, uh, what language you speak or the color of your skin. So disease is not a respecter of persons, but neither is freedom. People who will hang out together when they're sick would never be found together when they're healthy. I've always found it interesting that, that when people, there's something wrong, people will commiserate. People will hang out together when they're sick. But you'd never find those people hanging out when they're healthy. It's interesting to me that when they were sick, they were all a group of people hanging out, right? Um, but as soon as the healing begins or the healing happens, they separate. People gravitate, gravitate together in their affliction, but they separate in their freedom. Why? They do this because they're still caught up in some kind of a religious context. So, so we're all sick together, we're all hanging out, and, and uh, man, it's good to meet you, and I'm, I'm all messed up, and you're all messed up, and then Jesus comes along, and he heals us, and now none of us are messed up again, but what we have are the messes up here in our head and how we think. Because while we were all sick together, there was no prejudice. While we were all sick together, I didn't judge you. While we were all sick together, there was not one person over another person or one ethnicity over another ethnicity. When we're all sick, we're all equal. And the Bible tells us in Romans, and it shows us through the Gospels, that we are all sick in our sin. Like we all have the Adamic nature inside of us. The Bible says no one's good enough for the glory of God. Not one person will ever escape it. We're all the same. But then all of a sudden, once we get healed, then we have these mindsets that we have to deal with because it's the mindsets that divide us. We would rather be stuck in our system than be brought together because of our salvation. What happens is, is that our mindset, our thoughts, our lifestyle, our cultures are so divided. But just in the same way that there's no respecter of persons, in other words, with the sin or the sickness, the same with freedom and grace. To really understand the power of grace, it brings down the walls, it changes the way that we think 
It causes our culture to shift and it stops us in the middle of the road. So here's this man, he's going along and it says that they got, they got um, healed on the journey. So they're on the journey, they're getting healed. And as they get healed in the middle of going to see the priest who can't heal them anyways and can't even declare anything, he just, they're going along, maybe they're even running. And while they're running, one of them realizes that he is completely healed on his way to see the priest. And so he doesn't need the priest because he just met the high priest. And so he's running along and then all of a sudden they keep running and he slows down. He slows down and he looks at his body. He watches his hands begin to just be healed and the skin come back over the bone and and the meat that you could see and all the cracks in his face and, and his body, it just began to heal and he stopped and he experienced his healing. There has to be a moment where we all stop. Because I'm telling you, I've met so many people where God does miracles in their life, but they still won't acknowledge Jesus. And like I said before, man, you go through the New Testament, there are so many people who get healed by Jesus or watch Jesus. They watch Lazarus get raised from the dead, and they still would not follow Christ. Because somewhere along the line, if you just don't stop and recognize what is happening on the inside of you and on the outside of you, then you're going to follow the other nine because they didn't have the revelation. Something was going on in their head. They couldn't break free from it. They were running to see the priest so the priest could tell them they're healed, but they didn't notice that they were barely running 15 minutes ago, and now they're running at full sprint because he healed their feet, he healed their legs, he healed their body. Now they were like crawling over there. Now they're marathon runners all the way over to hear some other priest tell them that they are now healed. I now declare you healed. And this other guy stopped and he recognized. Do you really recognize? Do you recognize what Jesus has done? He has done something and you don't need anyone else to tell you what he has done because you know it in your heart. You know it. You don't need anyone to tell you about it, to try to steal it from you, to try to take the glory for what has happened. Just stop. Just stop. And even if you're in the middle of a mess right now, right? Don't let your thoughts, your past, because all of that is a religious context. Just stop for a minute. Jesus has touched you and healed you. He loves you. Just stop. Just stop your thoughts. Stop the, the way you're, you're functioning. Just stop right now. Jesus, I pray for every single person this morning that is in the middle of something. They don't believe they're going to get healed. They don't believe this can happen. And, and they're running around. And they're trying to figure it all out on their own. Man, your marriage, you can't figure it out. Jesus, I pray that we just stop right now. Father, come on, we recognize who you are and we're going to turn 360 degrees and we're going to go find the guy who told us to go see the priest. Not so that we, he would see if we were obedient, but because he wanted to see which of us were going to respond. And I pray that we would respond. Come on, this is us. We're turning around, right? And we're saying, oh, hold on a minute. Where did all my friends go? Because we were all hanging out in our affliction, but now we are separated in our freedom. 
because we have the same freedom. But I want to give glory to the one who made me free. I don't want to go and kiss up to the one who wants to take the glory for what he did. So Jesus, this is, this is just kind of how it works, right? Verse 17. And then he says, we're not all 10 cleansed. Where are the other nine? Where are the other nine? He um, has no one returned to give praise to God except the foreigner. Interesting. And then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. I want to talk about the other nine for the last couple of minutes. Like what happened to them? Where'd the other nine go? Look, it's not like they were running and didn't realize that they were healed. It's not. If I had a life-threatening disease, if, if my body was being eaten alive by some kind of a, of a disease, and some guy says to me, go, hey, just go get checked out by the priest. And on my way to see the priest, my whole body got healed. And I didn't stop and turn around and think about what just happened. There must be some strongholds in my thinking, in my mind, that give me the ability to leave the author or the bringer of my healing behind me and not even, not even acknowledge it. Where, what was it about the other nine? I don't, I don't understand it. I've always thought about this story, and I'm thinking, the other nine got healed, but they didn't even recognize it. Well, the Bible doesn't tell us what happened. However, just take modern culture. Just, just take you and I today. Just take some of the things that you think about the things you struggle with, the things that I struggle with, we all have these mindsets and things that we're going through, right? So I bet you I can guess what some of their struggles were. So let me give you a couple of their struggles. I think this is kind of uh, symbolically or you know, dramatically, in a sense, what happened to the other nine, but I know that this is what happens every single day. I think one of them, the first one, he refused to believe he was healed. He'd been sick so long that he couldn't believe that he was actually healed. And so though he was healed, he continued to live like he was sick. His actions in his healing were as if he was still sick because he didn't believe it. When God's working in your life, don't let anyone convince you that it didn't happen. God touches your life. Oh, God didn't touch your life. God did touch your life. God healed your body. God didn't heal your body. God did heal your body. God changed the way that you think. He set you away free from some thoughts and stuff. No, he didn't. You can't do that. Jesus can't do that. You have to do that on your own, right? Don't let anyone talk you out of it. I think the first one, he just refused to believe that he was even healed at all. I think the second one believed that he healed himself. And I still, you know, at times I just get so burdened by the fact that people think that they can heal themselves. You know, one of them was just saying all the way to the priest, I am healed by my own self-belief. I believe in myself. I can heal myself. And while he's getting healed, he's lying to himself and he believes a stronghold that he's setting up. I think one believed he wasn't healed. I think the next one believed that he healed himself. So why go back to Jesus? Why say thank you? I think number three, the third one, 
He didn't care that he got healed because he had no purpose in his life before he was sick. Without a relationship with Jesus, a lack of purpose before a miracle leads to a lack of purpose after the miracle. Jesus did all these miracles, but it takes a relationship and an encounter with Jesus for the miracle to make sense. A miracle is just a miracle. It's just something that happened, unless you understand that the relationship with Jesus in the middle of that is what really gives it purpose. Some people just go on with their life. No purpose then, no purpose now. I think the fourth one, he didn't want to be associated with Jesus because he was politically incorrect. I don't think that he wanted to go see the priest. And, be, and the priest is like, well, did something happen to you on the way here? He's like, well, I ran into Jesus and he just told me to come. I don't think he wanted to be associated with Jesus because it was, it was incorrect. It was politically incorrect, especially when you're talking to the priest because the priest, you know, they wanted to kill him. They didn't like Jesus. So we're just not going to bring Jesus up. Do you know what the Bible says? The power, the power of God in you that's working, do you know where that, that power manifests? In your testimony. In your testimony. It's not in the healing, it's in the testimony. It's not in the healing, I'm healed. How did you get healed? I remember one time, uh, I was, I remember one time, right after we got married, um, Donna and I went to visit a friend, a buddy of mine from high school, and he wasn't home. Uh, I wanted him to meet my wife, but his mom was there, and his mom was like the, the community mom, helped raise me. And man, I'm telling you, I was a mess as a child. I'm sure that's very hard for, for you to believe, but it's true. I had a couple of issues. Um, I, we sat down on the couch, and she looked at me, and she says, now, Doug, I heard that you're a preacher. You're like a preacher now. And I just looked at her, and I couldn't believe I was, this was the first time as a married guy, because I was Mr. Evangelist as a single guy, right? But now I'm married, I'm sitting in front of my wife, and here's this mom who's known me. How, and she, she says this, now if you're an evangelist, you wait for this, these moments, right? She goes, how did that happen? And all of my, like, like four years of Bible college, all my evangelism classes, I forgot everything. And she just looked at me, and Donna looks at me like, oh my gosh, this is going to be so good. We're going to have a move of God right here. And I just went like this. I went, well, you know, it's kind of like, well, sort of met her. And I was like, there was a church. I went to service. And I was like, hey, I'll help out with the chairs. And then one day I was like volunteering. And then they put me on staff. It's crazy. And I go to church all the time. And Donna just looks at me like, wow. I married a man of God, you know. We get in the car. And we start driving away. And she, it's totally silent. She, she, she just goes like this, about a minute into the drive. She just goes, well, that was, that was incredible. Great job. I mean, I'm telling you, it's like I'd forgotten that the testimony is, is what gives power to the miracle. I should have told her what happened. Well, you remember when I was living in my car? You remember when I was on drugs? You remember when, when your son had to drive me home a whole bunch of times because I was too drunk to get home? Remember all those horrible things that happened in my life? Jesus came in and changed everything inside of me. But instead, 
I was so like embarrassed or like afraid to tell what really happened because where's my faith? Where's my thinking? I want to give you this verse. Romans chapter 1 verse 16. This is a, a scripture that I use that I love. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone, everyone who believes. I am not ashamed of the gospel. We have to make sure we understand that our testimony is the power that, that allows the miracle to take place. I'm going to go faster. Number five, I think the fifth one went back to where he got the disease in the first place because that's where he was the most comfortable. I think some people... They just, the, the comfortability factor, they just can't get away from it. So they're going to go back to where they want. They're going to have their old girlfriend, their old friends, the same stuff. They get free from it for a while. It feels really good. But then the call of God comes and the call of God has a price tag on it called the cross. And so all of a sudden now they're like, no, I just need to go back and be comfortable. And so they, they get reinfected with the same disease that they had last time because they just wanted to be comfortable. I think the sixth one, he didn't know how to live without sympathy so he went back and got reinfected because he's used to having people serve him and people having sympathy for him. Some people don't know how to live in their freedom because they actually have to do something. Don't ever think that freedom doesn't cost something because it does. I'm going quickly here. Number seven, uh, the seventh one cared more about the words of the priest than the words of the Messiah. I just know people that no matter what I say to them, they're going to go and listen to the person who abused them, listen to the person that lied to them, listen to the person that got them into that in the first place. And you can sit there and give people perfect wisdom. And you know what they do? Nothing. You tell them the truth and then they reject the truth and they go do whatever they want. They care more about the religion and the priests and, and, and trying to impress somebody or whatever. I just got to impress you. I've got to get a position. I've got. And so all of the stuff that Jesus is trying to do in here, they reject. I think the eighth one, he didn't like the cost that he would have to pay if he turned around. He didn't like the cost that he would have to pay if he turned around and went back to Jesus. Because who wants to go from leprosy to a cross? You see, because if we don't understand that the cross is why we were created and the sin and the leprosy is what wants to divide us and destroy us and keep us from the cross. The cross is our purpose. The leprosy is the enemy of the cross. They're not the same. But who wants to go from leprosy to a cross? And so he just kept running. The ninth one, I don't think the ninth one knew anything. I think the ninth one just went with the crowd. I think the ninth one just went, well, one went that way and eight went that way. And so I, I'm just going to go with the eight. And so he lost his destiny and his relationship with Jesus because he just wanted to go with the crowd. He was too afraid to walk alone. He didn't know what Jesus had for him. Listen, if you don't know that God has a path, you will always go with the crowd. There's a difference between running with the crowd and finding God's purpose for your life. So if you don't know that God has a path, you'll always go with the crowd. But then... There was one more. There, then there was the one. He turned around in the middle of being healed and he stopped. And when all the other nine took off this way, he turned around 180 degrees and he went, wait a minute, there's no priest that can heal me. There's no system that can heal me. 
I, 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 the way I think is wrong. I mean, even the, the way that I think, I don't even believe I'm healed, but when I look down, I'm healed. When I look at my hands, I'm healed. And I want to know who healed me. And so he turns and he goes back. And he was the one who didn't belong. He was the one, he was the one who wasn't a proper Jew. He was the one that in normal circumstances the Jews would have not even spoken to him. It's, it's, uh, there's a historical record that when a Jew and a Samaritan would walk on the same street, the Jew would cross the street to pass the Samaritan because he didn't even want to be. That's not, that's not social distancing, right? That's religious distancing. See? And so it, it was the Samaritan who turned around. God wants us to realize that what's happening in here, the disease is not a respecter of persons, but neither is freedom. So I'm going to pray for you, okay? I got to go, I gotta, but I'm going to pray for you. And I want you to listen to me. If you're, if you're going through something right now and there's a cry in your heart, I'm praying for that. I'm praying that God fulfills every promise and everything that he has for you. I want to pray for you. Go ahead and close your eyes with me right now. Think of what you need. Think of what your struggle is. Think of what, of the way that you think. Are there some changes you need to make? Jesus, I pray that you would hear the cry of our heart. I pray, Lord, that when you see us, I know you don't see just the outside, you see the inside. And it's the inside that you're after because it's the inside that guides the outside. And so, Jesus, I pray that for every cry of every heart, every need, every desire, every broken dream, every family that's in a struggle right now, I just pray that you would hear the cry of our heart. Jesus, Master, come on, have pity on us. Have pity. And Father, it's not that, it's not that we don't believe you love us, but all we've ever gotten is pity. People just give us pity. So it, pity would be enough if it would make me healed. Why won't you answer me? Why won't you say something? And all I hear is you saying, go, go see the priest. Because you're not going to give us pity. What you want to give us is eternal salvation and unconditional love. It's not pity. Father, I love you today. I pray, Jesus, Now I want everyone to just say this out loud, say it in your heart, say it in your mind, whatever you want. Say, Lord Jesus, I love you so much. Hear my cry. Jesus, I believe that you have healing for me. Heal my mind, heal my heart, heal my body. I'm grateful and I'm thankful, Father, for what you have done. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen.